Hey guys, welcome to the Colorado A-List podcast. We're building a thriving business community based on generous leadership and authentic connections. I'm your host, Matt Brower, and today's episode is brought to you by GetAround. GetAround is a community-focused car-sharing platform where people can rent cars in their neighborhood by the hour or by the day. Whether you're running errands, traveling, or heading into the mountains, GetAround can help you get there. They've also worked out a great deal for us listeners of this podcast. Visit get.co forward slash Colorado A-List to get $50 off your first ride. It's go time. All right, today's guest is a technology entrepreneur with a passion for organization culture. In addition to being CEO of his successful IT consultant firm, Greystone Technology Solutions, he speaks on the topic of leading accountable people versus babysitting employees. Um, I know that's a tough one for um, a lot of entrepreneurs. So uh, he's a husband to Amanda and father to three beautiful children. Welcome to the show, and thanks for being here, Peter Melby. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I wanted to uh, I, I want to talk a lot about your, I've heard your talk about, uh, I think the title is Boss or Babysitter. Mm-hmm. It's a very cool topic. And the, uh, I think this was a year ago, I originally heard this, um, this talk, but the room was filled. It was at some co-working space south of Denver. I can't remember which one right now. Uh, but everyone was on the edge of their seats uh, because it's, it's very hard to find, uh, to build a team and have everybody thrive have everyone be inspired, stay on task. I want to talk a lot about that, but let's start with, if you don't mind, just kind of, you know, tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey, how you got started. Uh, you're obviously running a successful company now. How old is that and all that good stuff? Yeah, so uh, I, I started as an entrepreneur when I was pretty young. Um, I started Greystone actually when I was 20. So uh, that's been my entire entire adult professional life, um, for better or worse. I think that, you know, there's definitely, uh, some people that l- look at that and say, you know, that, uh, you know, I made a lot of really good decisions when I was 20. I, I don't necessarily look at it that way. I think I, I, I see a lot of the decisions I made and thought, oh yeah, that, that's the stuff that I had to fight through. <laughs> right. And, uh, a little bit of foolishness. Um, but it's interesting because you, you bring up, uh, the organizational culture stuff, you know, and where we had, uh, connected on that, and the the journey pretty much starts at the same place, you know, as it did with with IT services, and um, it comes down to the fact that when I was seventeen, I got a job in, in IT, and uh, I got a, it was an outsourced IT company, and they uh, really I mean, they they needed employees. I got referred by a friend. Um, I thought that they saw something special in me. I think it turns out they saw that I would work for six bucks an hour. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I was really happy to do that. I was better than four twenty-five, to what my friends were making. Um, and I, I knew computers. You know, this was mid to late nineties uh, when people were just starting to have a computer on every desk at work. And so, even though I was seventeen, you know, I, I understood enough to feel like I, I could help people. And they, they brought me in. They were very cautious. Uh, you know, they generally just kept me be behind the scenes. But there was a day that, that they said, hey, we've got this key client. And it was a, a pretty large uh, municipality. And they said, uh, come in. You know, we lost somebody. We've got to fulfill the contract. And so you, you need to sit in this chair you know, at, at City Hall. And they said, 
don't touch anything. So basically, as things come in, here are the numbers that you call for the people who are going to do the actual work. But to fulfill the contract, you're going to sit in that chair, and we'll check the box. You were 17. I was 17. Oh, wow. and, and I wasn't fooling anybody. I lo looked like I was 12. Um, <laughs> so I was supposed to be there for two weeks. And I ended up being there for two years. And the, the, it, was, it was funny because in the process of, of trying to get these people support as they came in and had these needs and trying to you know, obey my orders not to do anything, I just asked a lot of questions. And I learned you know, to, to stall you know, or dig into situations that I had no idea how to solve you know, just by finding more and more out about the situations. And um, I realized that, that with that, I, I had a knack for actually solving problems and solving them creatively, you know, oftentimes finding that the, the root problem was different than even what they walked in the door with. And so um, I started to, to gain trust you know, and, and find success there. And that's really what jump-started my career in that space. Now, the, the interesting part about that, that client was that they had an IT department. And they, the IT department hated the end users, and the end users hated the IT department. Mm. And they all felt like that was completely normal. For some reason, I, 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 it was baffling to me, you know, coming into this as my really my, my first step in, in my career. So, well, how can you be hiring these people and they have no interest in serving the people? And they that, just had it that that's how this industry and this topic works. Exactly. Yeah. And, okay. and, and so it started a long journey of learning about both people, you know, and technology and how those things work together. And especially in the realm of IT services, uh, I, I realized that a lot of people go into IT services because they want things to be, to, be, to be black and white. And 25, 30 years ago, as the industry was really getting started, you know, in its current form, uh, we, the people who knew how to operate the computers and fix the computers got to make all the rules. So they got to ignore the people side of IT, you know, for, for a long time and really establish an industry uh, where people weren't the focus. It was, it was the machines. It was the people, you know, I mean... Uh, the the employees you know, in the industry, whether it's an internal IT department or an outsourced provider, uh, were known for not really being able to connect with, with people. And mm -hmm. it's still that way. Um, it's not that way because it has to be. And it's not, certainly not that way because the companies want it to be that way. So that's where Greystone, um, you know, was, you know, we, that whole situation gave birth to the idea that there's a different way to do this if we look at things upside down a little bit rather than just what do we want, you know, and, and how, how do we make things easy for us as a provider, you know, or an, an IT department? How do we really engage and, and dig into what the organization, you know, and the users need? Right. So that started a whole journey of, um, of growth, you know, for an organization that I was mostly just trying to keep up with. And so because we found that it resonated with people. And so I l had to learn how to manage people along the way. And, and obviously, with a focus on people, our, our um, priorities were making sure that we were a great workplace culture, um, that, we, that people wanted to work for us, that we took care of our people, that we had great intentions uh, around all of that. Um, and and it's, it's generally carried us you know, to where we are. Today, right we've got you know, 85, 90 staff. I lose count. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, Probably uh, changes daily yeah, yeah, or yeah. weekly, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. We had two people start today. Yeah. So we have five open positions Congrats. right now. So, oh, great. Um, but the, uh, the, the, the growth is really um, 
you know, it's, it's because of our, our focus on people. But it was not nearly as straight of a path as uh, I expected. And that's really what the boss or babysitter talk, you know, and a lot of the work that we do in, in, in that, uh, that organizational design, you know, and uh, cultural development for IT companies, that's where that comes from. Right. So, you're, uh, so you sat in this job uh, at this post for two years. You were told what to do. And instead, you started actually asking questions of the people that were coming to you for help. Um, and you started to discover for yourself that, hey, I can actually communicate with these people. This, this IT world doesn't have to just be me taking orders and then doing my computer work behind the scenes or passing along the message. Exactly. Yeah. And so it, at that point, after that two years, is that when you um, jumped ship and became an entrepreneur? Or how, how so, long um, after that? I jumped ship and, and went to college. Oh, okay. Um, Briefly, okay. Uh, much to the chagrin of my college professor father. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how briefly? A year. Oh. So um, I'll say I was enrolled for a year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I spent more of my time working on my my business than I did uh, going to class. Yeah. You know, and and I I I used the excuse at the time. I said, well, I'm I'm kind of doing school and I'm kind of doing a business. I got to focus on one or the other. Yeah. And the business is, there's just so much opportunity. And I re really, it was just the opportunity to not have homework. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And so. Free time? It, yeah. Yeah. In hindsight, it was, it was, it was a very lazy decision because uh, I could, I could have this business that was just me. And um, at that point, it wasn't even Greystone yet. So I, I had started you know, a business on, on my own. Um, and I thought, if I have this business, no one can tell me what to do. No one can give me assignments. I get to wake up every day and decide what I want to do. Uh, and that sounded great until I True actually got entrepreneur. Into, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and, until I got to a place where the, you know, it, the reality set in. You know, I wasn't in school. Um, I didn't have the the you know dorm you know the the food card i didn't you know i did really make things work the placking in the wall yeah and yeah. i realized i was like wait a second i gotta do work like all of a sudden the reasons why i wanted to start a company to work for myself to make a bunch of money you know to have freedom like none of those things pay off right away and no. so it was a very stark realization like oh what the hell did i do <laughs> um and i've been working back from that ever since why? <laughs> so that's what—that's the realization you had after a certain period of time, and you're like, "That's really what kicked your kicked your ass in gear." Yeah. To build a 85, 90 person yeah, and, company and, now. Yeah, you know, at, at the beginning, it's funny. It wasn't. It wasn't about eighty five or ninety people. It was about one. It was about yeah. getting you know, to a place where it was some, about something that was more than just me, because I knew that left to my own devices, I was going to struggle. And I, I have a lot of strengths, you know, in client success and in you know, relationships, in, in troubleshooting and technology and creativity, but not the consistency in terms of, you know, operation and, you know, putting those processes in place and things like that. So I'm very fortunate to have a strong business partner, uh, Jesse Armstrong, who um, is certainly more mature in those areas. And we met at that, at that first job. Uh, and that was oh, so... really? Yeah. So that's... Uh, when, when when we got together, that's when Greystone, you know, re really became a thing. Nice. Okay. And I uh, am glad to say I know Jesse as well, having yeah. uh, 
represented you guys with your real estate for the last couple rounds anyway, we, several we, years. We, we, we joke and say that, you know, I'm, I'm the talker, he's the listener. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, it seems like a great partnership. Yeah. So you guys have been business fun. partners for how many years now? Uh, 18. Wow. Yep. So we've, we, we've been through a lot, a lot of change, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a fast moving business. We've grown, uh, pretty substantially year over year. And so every year it feels like a different job. I think mm. that, that suits both, both of us well. Um, but it also brings in, you know, a lot of the challenges that we think, oh, we, we'll be fine in this area because, right. you know, because this is the way we think and this is what we're good at. And we'll get, get knee deep in that and realize, oh, wait, no, we've got a lot to learn. You know, and, and so the, the journey never really stops. Right. And so this incredible culture that you guys have at Greystone Technology um, and the buzz. I mean, you just walk through the office space and we're sitting in your office right now and uh, you could just feel the energy of the staff and everything. At what point did you realize, it sounds like the company was kind of started based on this ideal, you know, this idea of, of what you now, what your talk is about, you know, yeah. babysitter versus boss. Um, at what point did you really start to realize, wow, this is like a thing. Yeah. This is how we've grown this thing. We should talk about it, you know? You know, it, it, it's still even a little bit uncomfortable in terms of calling it a thing because it's a living thing. Okay. I mean, it's, uh, I say this uh, a lot in that um, we talk a lot about toxic companies. We talk a lot about healthy companies. We've we've been toxic and we've been healthy, mm. um, and we're we're certainly as we've moved forward become more and more consistently healthy. Um, but I think that it's actually the embracing you know of 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 the mistakes we've made and the challenges that we've run into that has opened up a lot of the conversations because it's not something that we 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 don't want to flaunt just an exterior, you know, of what we have. I love when people show up to the office and they do see the buzz, and especially when they walk in and say, wait, you're an IT company? You know, right. This is... But, the photos on your wall. Right. I want to know who your photographer is. And yeah, yeah. Team yeah. photos well, of you. I, 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 it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, FOCO uh, up in Fort Collins. Oh, okay. They're, they're phenomenal. Cool. But yeah. uh, um, a lot of what we uh, uh, realized um, during that time, or d- during some of these, these ups and downs, was that... Good intentions weren't enough, and and that was a I was pretty naive about that at the beginning. Like, you know, I like people, I, I like connecting with them. I feel like I'm trustworthy. I I trust people, um, you know, in a, a healthy way. But we had a, a time back in, it was a few a few years into hiring people. We probably had eight or, or ten employees, and mm. we started losing employees for reasons we didn't understand. Things that you know we had. Had expected them, you know, they said, "Well, I'm really unhappy." Like, we didn't seem unhappy. You didn't say you were unhappy. In fact, you were telling us things that we heard the opposite. Right. And that's really what what started um, the conversations about what does it take to build a healthy culture. And what I found in in a lot of those the the dialogues that we had back and forth, which is what started these talks, you know, and things like that, is that we all have really common problems. Um, you know, you, you go to the bar, at, you know, at a happy hour with a bunch of managers, you know, and the word babysitter is going to come up at some point or something similar to that. Like, oh, hey, yeah. what are you doing? Adult daycare, you yeah. know. Um, you know and, For their individual teams. Y- yes. Right. And just the, the sarcasm that comes with with leading teams, you know, and managing teams. And 
at first it was like, oh, well, you, you're just, you're all focused on money, you know, or you're too focused on process. Like, you really got to focus on the people. And then I started to realize that I was doing some of the same stuff. Mm. And so as, as we had people who, who left because they were unhappy in our culture, it wasn't about my good intentions. You know, and I started to realize more and more it was actually about human nature and how we didn't really understand it mm-hmm. and we didn't really build a culture that was reflective of what human nature really is. Right. And so that once we started down, you know, to, to be intentional about some of that stuff is when the conversation started to shift. Um, and the organizational culture started to shift. Nice. And uh, that reminds me when, you know, it was a, probably a year ago since I heard your talk, but one thing that I v- remember very clearly is that you um, shifting that culture, one way you have done that is is by this complete open communication and not just communication, but actually uh, setting meetings with all of the team members and having documents where they, where both of you guys can kind mm-hmm. of be in communication at all times. Yeah, well, one of the big things that I realized was that I, I wanted to run a company where people could have autonomy, um, but I had to learn what, what autonomy was. Mm. <laughs> and uh, so we, you know, in the, the work that we do, you know, on the Bosser babysitter stuff, we, we talk a lot about digging into truly understanding what, what autonomy is. And um, as we started to roll that out, one of the things that I learned was that if I'm going to give people autonomy, I have to be pretty confident that I have good information coming back to me you know, and flowing up through my company. And that's really unnatural in most, right. in most organizations because as, as we dug into it and dug into it, we, we got to the point where we realized, well, of course no one's going to show up and tell the truth to their boss you know, about what's going wrong. Because even when we hire people, it's still, it's mostly based on lies. You know, it's a resume, a job description, both sides of the interview table. <laughs> right. It's all Everyone looking their best. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's, it's contrived in some way. I was laughing about the fact that, or even this morning, we'll, we'll have people who will come in, you know, in a suit and tie for their uh, interview and show up for their first day of work, you know, in tennis shoes and, you know, in ratty jeans, we're like, wait a second, can't do that, you know. But so the right. the change between what someone shows in the interview process and what the company shows in the interview process, and what the reality of being a human, you know, a whole human being is, um, they're very different things. Mm-hmm. And so we we if we're not actively trying to disrupt that that idea, you know, of only show your the best side of what's going on then we continue to incentivize people who assume that they're only going to get promoted if people see the good things that they're doing. So they prioritize showing those. They, they, they keep the, their failures and challenges hidden. Mm. And that doesn't work for an organization trying to build, I mean, trying to you know, give people autonomy because I got to be able to, to steer it you know, and direct it some way. So if the only thing I hear is what's going right from my employees, then the things that are going wrong are going to bubble to the surface somehow. Yeah. And then I got to go in and become a detective, you know, and try to figure out who's lying, who's manipulating, you know, all this stuff. And that's truly the worst part of babysitting, you know, is when, when your kids are, you know, the kids are misbehaving, you got to go and figure out what's actually going on. Right. So I feel like in an attempt, you know, to give people, to, to trust people and give them, an opportunity, you know, to to act as adults. I actually, without understanding the human nature part of it, 
put myself in a position to do the worst kind of babysitting, you know, and have to really trust no one, you know, because I was only getting one side of things. Gotcha. So the system that we put in place is really about, it's about driving, you know, cultural change and disrupting, you know, that idea. Because ultimately, when people want to show up and only talk about what's going well, mm-hmm. you know, people show up to work and we want to, they, they it, we, if we look at what's stressing us out, if we look at the anxiety that we have, you know, a lot of it is, oh, you know, if somebody else knew, knew and could help, it dissolves so much of that challenge. And so we, we started realizing that if, if we made these conversations part of our culture, it's not just about having radical transparency or radical, radical candor, you know, or some of these terms that um, I think are, are, are very positive things. It's about how do we actually build a system and consistency because no one's going to show up to work on their first day and say, I'm going to be you know, radically truthful about everything going on in my world. You have to earn it, you know, and, and, and you have to build it culturally. So we, yeah. we do two monthly meetings. Uh, one is a full team meeting. One's a one-on-one. And it replaces a lot of other you know, typical communication. It replaces performance metrics management and, yeah. programs it, you know it's it, it's a monthly iteration you know of what some people would do in an annual survey or an a, a, annual performance r- review um, or an exit survey you know is what <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's you know the 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 processes that, that we have are just just asking the right questions you know in, in a team setting having everybody talk about where they you know where they succeeded and what they wish, wish they would have done better mm-hmm. you know in the previous month and talking about how stressed out they are you know and how much capacity they they have um, so you said it's every two weeks uh, so a, a team meetings the team meetings once a month um, okay the team sits in a circle you know in the conference room and the only thing you can bring is the, this piece of paper says what have I done well you know, what do I wish I could have done better? What am I stressed out about? You know, what am I excited about? You know, and what do I need, you know, in order to move forward uh, better in my position? Um, oh, cool. And and then how, how busy am I? You know, how, how much capacity do, do I have to take on more work? Hmm. So doing that in a circle and having a team understand that, then when they all work together, there's substantially more empathy, you know, hmm. for people who are struggling. There's an understanding of who to go to for help because we, we know who has, you know, capacity to help. Um, so just connecting teams on that level um, has been really beneficial. And then we do a monthly one-on-one, just the individual, you know, and their and manager. The manager yeah. And we, we ask questions that are a little bit deeper. So, and you prepare the answers ahead of time. It doesn't take long. But just, you know, asking each employee, what do they think they're, what do they think they're succeeding at? And what are they working to improve? Because we've realized that when we ask that question, of what are you working to improve? It's we often unlock the same criticisms that we have of them, yeah, you know, or criticisms they have of themselves. And once someone is actually there to say, "Hey, yeah, you know, I'm I'm working on my organizational skills, or I'm working on you know being more timely, you know, with with communication," and we don't have to tell them first, right? Then we have we we can come up with a plan together rather than it being this confrontation and defense dynamic. Yeah, it kind of creates the space to have that conversation. Yeah. And it's a co-created exactly uh, situation. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. But but Way on the flip that. side, it's it's funny because in the, I learned this down the line after we had put the the system in place. It's also really important during that meeting to be very direct in our criticisms mm-hmm. as leaders of our, of our employees. 
So what, what do I need you to adjust? You know, and uh, so we ask them what they're working to improve, but then we tell them what we need them to improve. Uh, and when those things align, it's great. And when they don't, it's also great because we're not just sweeping things under the rug. And we, we learn that people want that feedback. They yep. want to understand where, where they stand. They want to understand how they can do better. And if they're not, I mean, if they're not getting that, they're criticizing themselves. Yeah. And it's typically harsher. It's typically not accurate. You know, and, and th- that was a weird thing for, for me to learn because I spent a lot of time thinking that the less I could criticize my people, you know, and, and we, we do it constructively and pol- politely, but the, the less I criticize, the happier they're going to be in my culture. And that didn't turn out to be true. Wow. That is so uh, close to um, how I tend to approach things and I try not to, which is, you know, hey, I, I don't want to, I just want to go produce. I don't want to be held accountable to anyone and I just want to go out and produce. And therefore, I don't want to impart that accountability onto others as mm-hmm. well. And that's what you're talking about is that does not work no, it a doesn't. lot of times. No, it's, <laughs> it, it's very true. You know, I, I think that we're all connected people, you know, mm-hmm. and, and business leaders, some, you know, some understand that better than others. And for me, it's not about making every company culture, you know, uh, a therapist's office, you know, or a counseling session. It's not right. about being best friends. It's not about even caring what, what my employees do on the weekend. It's about when they show up to work, the appropriate level of, of real connection, mm-hmm. you know, that, um, they're, that I'm not going to get anybody fully authentic and fully transparent. Um, that, that's, that's a pipe dream. I mean, you just think about it. I mean, right. we, we all control situations by nature. But, but I do believe that people want to be connected, you know, deep down. And I do believe that people want to succeed in the same ways. People want to take risks and want... You know, to be able to, to have a safety net, you know, and to, to make sure that, that, that they succeed. Mm. So it's those things when they tie us together that we can, you know, there's a lot of talk in organizational culture, um, and rightfully so, about how different we are and trying to understand, you know, whether it's this test, whether it's Myers-Briggs, whether it's different profiles. Um, you know, how do we engage with people who are different than us? But I think that one of the most important parts of a healthy culture is also understanding how humans are all alike. Mm. Yeah, and what those core needs and core connections are, because ultimately, if we recognize that in each other, we all want to make more money. You yeah. know, we all want to um, want work that's intrinsically satisfying. You know, no one shows up to work saying, "I don't really care if I succeed or not." Right. Um, it's a defense mechanism if if they've given up. Um, right. So that's that that's ended up being the undercurrent of this, and that wasn't what we what we started out with was mm. how do how do how do we find you know how human nature unites all of us? It was just. How do I keep people from quitting? Right. <laughs> Are there, um, have there been resources that you have focused on or any, anything like that that has led you to kind of this train of thought now or how you, how you approach this? Yeah. So, I mean, personal experience is the number one thing for sure because I, I would love to not make the same mistakes that I've made for the last, you know, I mean, at various times over the last 18 years. Um, it's interesting, my, my dad's a scientist, my mom's an artist. And so that dynamic um, was always you know, interesting in terms of the creativity, you know, combined with um, the very methodical, you know, exploration Analytical, of solutions. Yep. And, you know, um, so that, that's, been, that's been key. My favorite book of all time is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Huh. By Dale Carnegie. Yeah, it's a classic. It's 
it's it's not a difficult book to read. It's timeless. Um, I've certainly read more entertaining books, but I think that the underlying uh, understanding that that influencing people is probably the greatest, you know, the greatest skill that we can have. And there's there's a fine line between mani- manipulating people, you know, and earning that uh, influence. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's that's a key part. In order to influence, you have to you have to listen. You have to understand. You have to dig into why people are the way that they are. You know, and only then can you start you know, changing their minds. Yeah, it's like a do, uh, do as I, it's like a give orders versus, which tends not to go very well a lot of times, versus uh, let me hear what you're trying to do and what you need and how can I help. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, that, I mean, you know, in our culture these days, and not to skew this podcast entirely, you know, let me take it right into the ditch and talk politics. Let's do but, it. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we don't have, I mean, we talk about our inability to have healthy discourse. And so much of it is our, our protection of our own opinions um, and how that plays into our identity. But most of it comes down to, you know, to me, you know, from the fact that when, if we want to change someone's mind, we have to know more than we're willing to know about them. And, yeah. and, we, and, and part of that is you can't go in with the idea of let me learn about you so that I can change your mind. You have to go in with, let me learn about you because I want to connect and I want to truly understand it. And with that, then, you know, I, I, I will shape, you know, continue to shape my uh, opinions and views. Right. And then as we have conversation and I share my opinions and views, then hopefully that will also shape yours. Right. You know, it seems simple enough, but we suck at it and we're getting worse. Yeah. So I think that it's funny because people love to complain about millennials and, you know, the the emerging workforce and things like that. It's like, I see it across all different demographics, you know, right. and dynamics, how protective we are of, you know, our, our opinions and the fact that, you know, just defensiveness prevails in so many ways in our cultures. Right. That, that uh, what you just said reminds me of, um, I'm going to quote, Tyler Durden from one of the best <laughs> movies ever made, Fight Club, yeah. <laughs> which was... Most people are not listening. They're just waiting for them. Their turn to talk. Their turn to talk. Exactly. That's what. Yeah. That's what mostly is happening out there. It's so true. It's yep. so true. <laughs> no. Uh, I need to watch that movie again. Actually, it's I, been a while. It's, it's been a while for me too. It's it's one of the more quotable ones. No, yep. I, I was I was uh, connected with a gentleman by the name of Dave David Bomper last week, and mm-hmm. he um, he does a lot of leadership consulting around listening. You know, and it was fascinating to hear everything that he does with executives and teams and all that, who many of them think that they're listening, you know, but to actually listen uh, is a skill that most of us don't possess in the way that we, the way that we think we do. Yeah. <laughs> About being present, like what that really means to be yeah. present and be actually present, be get open into somebody else's how world. We, how we process what's being said. Yeah. And, um, I think so actually true. leaders are some of the worst listeners because we're, we are very focused at times. Uh, we know what we want. We know where we're going. Mm-hmm. You know, we're assertive. We mm-hmm. have no problem, you know, being the confident uh, communicator in the room. And so everything becomes you know, just an instrument in an orchestra that we're trying to play as a leader instead of actually listening to what's, you know, right. to what somebody's saying is, you know, and that's, yeah, I, I, I could always get better at that. Right. <laughs> well, okay, so I'll, I'll shifting gears here a little bit. I'll ask a hard question or, or a candid one. 
How would your wife say you are at listening? <laughs> <laughs> or how does this translate into your uh, home life? I would say that you know it's it, we, we we talk about it a lot because we're we're very different, um, and a lot of the methodologies and and practices that we've put in place have been influenced as much by the personal relationships, you know, as they have professional and, and recognizing the human nature, it doesn't, doesn't change, you know, role to role. Um, yeah. So I would hope that she would say that I've gotten better at listening as I <laughs> realized these things. And yeah. she was actually the, the one that helped me learn one of the most critical lessons um, that, you know, we, we, were, we were, there was something that I was, we were arguing about and I, I just wouldn't let it go. And I, I wouldn't let it go because I didn't see her, you know, responding to me that or I, I, I couldn't I couldn't see that she was was sorry about it. I couldn't see, see that she was was, you know, had any empathy for my situation. Mm. You know, and so and I was so I was defensive and she was defensive. And finally, yes, yeah, so I was just pushing and pushing. And finally, she's like, what are you trying to do? I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I already feel terrible about it. Like, it's already changing my behavior. I don't need you to just continue you know, to, to beat me down with this. And I was like, no, no, that's not what I was trying to, trying to do at all. Like, I thought you wow. were resisting any, you know, involvement in this situation. And it was the first time that I realized that, that people, when, you know, most of our criticism in the way that we've learned to criticize or developed in, you know, in, in criticizing yeah. employees and, and all that, it's, it's self-protection. You know, like, if, if, if I need to see somebody suffer for something, you know, it seems like a really shitty quality in somebody to, you know, but we all have that in, in us. It's like know, a survival it's, mechanism, I think. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, if I can see that they're remorseful about this, then I can take that and that makes me feel better. I'm mm. not totally in the wrong and I don't have to be defensive anymore. And so those dynamics just don't play well, you know, long term. And I think that leaders learn that the hard way. And sometimes, but but unless we, we dig into it, we, we learn it over and over and over and right. probably never learn it at the core that we need to. So yeah. you know, those conversations have, have influenced so much of, of the leadership development that, that we've, you know, created and, and, um, you know, work to evolve yeah. over time. So she has more of a, of a role in that than she's actively, I think, wanted to have, but right. she, you know, she's, uh, she, she, she's run business operations in the past and also, um, you know, spends a lot of time with, our three kids, you know, running that business operation. Yeah, no, exactly. It's very similar. We come home at the end of the day and compare notes. I'm like, oh yeah, um, it's the same. I mean, setting expectations, you know, letting people you know, have autonomy, but giving them boundaries, you know, giving them safety nets, yeah. you know, all that. And so it's it doesn't have to be babysitting, but we do have to approach development. You know, right. Yeah. Uh, with with, you know, with kiddos. With, yeah. With some similarities. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you allowing me to ask the question, and and uh, you know. We leaders or entrepreneurs, uh, you know, we want to have all parts of our life be successful all the time, and that's a very hard thing to do—the balance and everything. And and uh, you know, and you just said it before I asked the question. It's um, how you do. I mean, you. This is one way to look at it. How you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. A lot of you know, mm -hmm. most of the time or all the time. And uh, so, yeah, I appreciate you allowing me to ask, ask that question. Yep. So going a little further down the uh, kind of the personal path here, um, let's transition to kind of the rapid fire uh, questions so that we can get to know more, you, more about you on a personal level. Sure. 
So you already mentioned your favorite book. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a couple of the questions. What's your favorite technology? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, it's weird because it's all so intertwined anymore. But... Um, Especially in your world, being an IT consultant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is. And, and that shit is like, I have to think about it and try to separate from... Right. Know, the whole package. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I'll say this. I'm, a lot of people talk about the, the, their gripes about privacy and the, the death of privacy. Um, I kind of love how much Google knows about me and can, can uh, between my, you know, Google in my car, Google in my, in my house, my phone, yeah. all of those things. It makes life easier for me. And I, someone told me, they, they gave me some great advice. Like, if you, don't, you know, if you don't want bad stuff about you on the internet, then don't do bad stuff. <laughs> um, which, again, is, th that's oversimplistic. But yeah. I do think that, you know, and s someone else said, that you can never remove information you know, about you from the world, but you can provide the right information to the world. Mm. And you know, so I think that was in response, like if that one spring break picture from college, you know, is the first picture that comes up on, on Google when someone searches your name, you should probably go and make sure that there's a thousand other pictures before anyone's going to see that one. <laughs> That's great advice. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was specifically advice for yes. you. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that... Uh, that, so I, I do love that. But I also, um, I have an 8-bit Nintendo. My son and I will play no uh, Super Tech Mobile. Oh, my gosh. And that's how I taught him to play video games, that. And we have a Galaga Ms. Pac-Man table yeah. uh, as well. So I, I think, you know, going back to the basics, you know, of, of technology as well and the parts that aren't, they don't have to be so ultra-connected, you know, are, are it, it, it's fun to, to enjoy that sometimes. To, to uh, go old school sometimes. Yes. That's cool. So, um, yeah, so just, uh, it, would you call it AI? Like what Google, all the stuff that, uh, that yeah, we have at our fingertips and it's, it's being tracked, is it AI? Or? It, so the, the, there's components of AI. There's, there's components of, you know, just logic and a analytics. You know, it's, it's all about d data and processing data. Yeah. You know, to, to make our lives easier at the end of the easier. day. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Cool. Um, how about uh, heroes? Any heroes that come to mind? for you? It's a good question. You know, it's funny. I, I, I grew up, um, my dad was always my he hero, you know, uh, and, and still is. I can't, I've never beat him in anything uh, athletic. Um, he has four college degrees. I have zero. Um, he's written books that I literally can't understand, like seven out of the first nine words of the first chapter, even as an adult. Um, but, so, but he also just never cared about, this sounds weird, but he never cared about business. Mm -hmm. It was all about how do I make an impact? And I did care about business. I care about money more than he does. Mm -hmm. um, I think he would love to live in a world where money didn't exist. Um, but watching that intention you know, was always uh, really inspiring to me. Nice. And it sounds, I mean, it seems like you have taken that on in your business as well because the, the culture, the way you interact with your team and the, uh, not only that, but you give it away. You go and speak on this topic of boss versus babysitter and this culture that you have here. Uh, I mean, to me, that's very similar uh, approach or mindset that your dad has then. Yeah, I think that a lot Having of it an was, impact. yeah, the, you know, just the, the, the nature was ingrained in me, but I also saw how much it influenced his success, you uh -huh. know, and not that he really cared about that that much, but 
but where he was able to, I mean, it was his not caring about the success that actually led him to that. And I've, I've seen that in, in a lot of spaces where, you know, if you're hyper-focused, you know, on making sure that every bit of my company is profitable, you know, and that's, that's the priority above all else, you're not going to grow your company very well. Mm -hmm. You're never going to take risks. You're never going to, you know, so, so that, that was, you know, inspiring to me, not just from this altruistic view, you know, of I want to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, if I want to get results and I want to grow the company and I want to do the things that I feel like I'm capable of, there has to be an element of impact there that yeah. isn't necessarily um, something that, uh, that just naturally comes out, you know, when you're talking about the financials of business. Gotcha. Cool. And then uh, last question, what is your favorite way to unwind? So um, I play ice hockey. And... Huh. I says, I certainly enjoy time with my family, you know, and, and relaxing times um, more than I enjoy playing ice hockey. But as far as unwinding, um, actually, there's probably there, there's probably two things. My, I'll start with the, the family side first. Um, my wife and I have rocking chairs on our front porch, and a Sono system, you know, and a playlist, and we pretend that we're old. So uh, we have a lot of Thursday nights. We call it Fake Friday. We plan, you know, we, we start the weekend early, even though got to go to work on Friday. Right. You know? and, um, so that's that's definitely a, a highlight. But um, I play adult beer league ice hockey, and I'm not I'm not great. You know, I started playing it as an adult. Um, but golf is fun. You know, I enjoy it. Yeah. But you can't get away from anything when you're playing golf. You know, if I'm stressed out at work. And I'm going to play golf in the afternoon. I'm taking all that stress with me and adding the stress of golf. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So ice hockey is different because you're on skates, on ice, with a bunch of other people that are all moving, you know, various uh, degrees of fast. Yeah. And there's a little rubber puck that we're supposed to do something with, you know. And... I can't think about anything else when I'm playing ice hockey except the other people on the ice and the puck and what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's that's cathartic for me in a lot of ways is to have that time where I can't get lost in my own head. Mm, um, wow. So I, once I started playing that, I, I never looked back. It's it's a key part of my weekly, uh, yeah, regiment. That's cool. What night do you play? Uh, it, it differs depending on oh, okay. the season in the league. Depending on when the ice is available too. And Sunday all that, nights, yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's great. Well, very much appreciate your time. The, the, the purpose, the basis of this podcast is uh, the vision that we have is a thriving business community based on generous leadership and authentic connections. So we thank you very much for your generous leadership today. Hey, thanks. It's been, it's been great knowing you over the years, too. So thanks yeah, for, you too. for all the great work. All right. Thanks, so, Peter. Have yeah. a great one. Okay.